0: Welcome to Copyright Clearance His podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, January 4th, 2019. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer who joins me today from PW's editorial offices in New York City. Welcome back, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. So we are returning today from a two-week holiday hiatus. I want to open with best wishes for a very happy New Year 2019 to you and all of our listeners. In a moment, we'll turn our attention to what's on tap for the book world in 2019, but let's address the pressing question for publishers and booksellers. Was the 2018 holiday shopping season a happy one for them? Yeah,
1: you know, you know. as for publishers and booksellers, I think it's a little too early to tell, but not by much anyway. I, as we're recording this, the updated numbers for the final weeks of 2018, uh, which includes Christmas, are just being released. So if you're double screening right now, you can you know listen to me perhaps or maybe go to the PW site and get the latest figures as we're talking. But I'll give you some general observations before I have those numbers in hand. Most predictions generally have industry sales going up a little bit this holiday season, and I think that's to be expected, you know, given the low unemployment rates and the tax cuts that were doled out in 2018, you know, as well as some very, very big popular books that were released in the holiday season. But how much the numbers are up? Well, that's the big question. And without seeing those new numbers yet, again, as listeners, you probably have access to them uh, right now as we're speaking. I can tell you this much: to put the 2018 holiday season in context. Uh, The first weeks of December were really slow, uh, and that had a lot of observers a little bit nervous. But the data leading right up into the week of Christmas showed that sales were picking up picking up quite a bit. And our listeners may remember that this is exactly what happened last year. December got off to a really slow start and then gave way to a really strong finish, which left the industry up for the year. So notably, Michelle Obama is, of course, leading the charge. That was expected. In fact, even though the book was only published in mid-November, Michelle Obama's Becoming not only was the best-selling book of 2018, it beat out its competition by 2 million copies, and counting, because I haven't seen the latest numbers. Uh, the Runner-Up, Joanna Gaines' fabulous The Magnolia Table. Uh, and in addition, you know, we also have big books by Jeff Kinney. There's a new Wimpy Kid out. The Big Unknown, I think, is the new Dog Band book, which was very inconveniently dropped on Christmas Eve. Thank you very much. Uh, whoever decided that Christmas Eve was a good time to publish a, a new book, you're on my naughty list for next year. And I'm, I'm pretty sure on uh, the naughty list of quite a few indie booksellers as well.
0: All right. I can understand that as a parent of an eight-year-old Dogman fan, Andrew, you're not <laughs> too happy about a Christmas Eve drop. But why are the indie booksellers upset?
1: Yeah, so you know these kind of one-day laydowns never really work like you think they're going to, right? So with Dogman, I'll remind listeners that you know the publisher announced in December that its first print was going to be a whopping five million copies. And that's just enormous. Uh and therein lies the rub, because you know indie booksellers are not the ones that are moving that kind of quantity. So who is? Well, the big box stores like Target, etc. And the complaint is that those stores don't respect the embargo, the Christmas Eve laydown. So i don 't know specifically if that's true or not personally. We have heard from Indie booksellers saying that it wasn't true, but I can't say this that you know, the big box stores don't have much reason to respect the embargo because you know what is the publisher going to do in retaliation? right? Stop sending them books, Of course not that's you know, five million copies have to get moved somehow. So you know we at PW have heard a lot of gripes from booksellers, uh, a lot of things like this from Indies in the last week or so. but you know let 's not ruin Christmas for Indies entirely because here's what we do know. 2018 was another strong year for indie booksellers, uh, and the indies we are hearing from are all reporting very good holiday seasons. So when we're talking about what to look forward to in 2019, uh, the continued resurgence in indie bookselling, that is certainly
0: one thing I hope does continue. Indeed, multi million copy press runs for Obama, Kinney, and Pilkey are really impressive. And clearly, big books are always hot at holiday season. Exactly, though, how much are the big books carrying the load this year?
1: Yeah, you know, that's that's a big part of this and definitely worth the mention. Now, our industry publishes a lot of great books every year, uh, but this year, I think, was an exceptionally strong year. There were a ton of just fantastic books were published this year, and you know, if you scan the major book awards, you can see how indie publishers have claimed a lot of awards. You know, a lot of hardware in recent years. But when it comes to sales, this holiday season specifically, it is especially notable uh, that the big books in 2018 accounted for a largely disproportionate chunk of industry sales, or at least it seems so. In many cases, these books were Trump-related. Right? We had Fire and Fury last January to start the year. James Comey, Bob Woodward. Uh, then we have michelle obama to end the year in Whippy kid and Dogman. so while indie booksellers are roaring back to life that's terrific and indie publishers are gaining more and more acclaim and there certainly are more and more of them popping up uh the big books it seems are really grabbing a much bigger slice of the sales pie
0: when copyright clearance Centers beyond the book returns andrew albanese has the final reading on publishing related legislation left languishing in congress i'm christopher Keneally with copyright clearance centers beyond the book
1: I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly and host of the new PW podcast, Publishers Weekly Insider. Each week, we'll talk to PW editors, authors, and other industry guests about the biggest and most exciting stories and books in the world of publishing. New episodes of PW Insider premiere every Friday. So listen at PublishersWeekly.com PWInsider or wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes.
0: I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, January 4th, 2019, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me today as he does each week. While the show was on break, Andrew, you and your colleagues at Publishers Weekly revealed the magazine's person of the year for 2019. The winners, plural, turned out to be those publishers who took on the Trump administration. It was an acknowledgement that the president had made a significant mark on the book business in 2018, and from the perspective of early January, of course, it remains to be seen whether Trump will figure as prominently this year. But I'm guessing you have some thoughts.
1: Yeah, maybe a thought or two. <laughs> you know, I mean, first, a general word about 2018. Indeed, the Trump administration Was a major force in the book business once again, you know, for many reasons. Most obviously, of course, is that, you know, there were the president's attempts to stop publication of books that criticized him. You know, and as expected, publishers stood up to those unreasonable and frankly un American demands. Uh, And perhaps in 2019, the president will learn that such attempts are one, inappropriate, and two, maybe more importantly, that they only serve as great marketing for these books. In 2019, I expect there's going to be plenty more Trump books. Uh, In fact, we know this already. We've seen some that were announced. But while those books rake in the sales, on the other side of that coin is the amount of oxygen these books take up. And they kind of make it harder for other books to get out there. And and that's kind of a shame. You know, there's a ton of great, important nonfiction that is not Trump-related. And fiction sales, despite what I think we can now say, is a generation of absolute brilliance. There's just so much great fiction being done these days. But fiction sales are actually in decline for going on five years now. So kudos to publishers for standing up uh, against the Trump administration when necessary. But I think it's fair to say that Trump's influence over the news cycles and hence book sales really can't end soon enough. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if instead of covering the president's inscrutable, infuriating tweets, some of that space went to some of the great writers who are working out there today?
0: Well, that's quite a picture you present to us, Andrew Albanese. And as we open 2019, the political landscape at least has changed dramatically with the Democratic majority now in control in the U.S. House of Representatives. What's the potential effect there, if any?
1: Yeah, again, it's hard to say, except that as of right now, we're in a government shutdown, right? And the markets are in turmoil. And you can ask any publisher, and they will all tell you the most important thing For publishers to have a good year is to have a good economy, to have a strong economy. And right now, science suggests the economy may be cooling off. You know, the tax cut, which for many individuals is going to end up being a tax increase, didn't really work out. Deficits are up and the trade disputes are having a direct and indirect impact on the book business, you know direct in the form of you know potential tariffs, uh, which is you know contributed to paper and printing crunches, and indirect for the reason you know I've just mentioned that you know the economic impact on consumers, but the most obvious thing to watch I think, are the Mueller probe, whether or not talk of impeachment heats up with a democratic uh, house now, and yes, folks, the early stages of the twenty twenty campaign have already begun. Uh, and any one of those would be a factor perhaps weighing on the book business. But in 2019, we could have all of those in play and then some considering that House Democrats are now, now also wield investigative powers. So you know, good luck breaking out your new literary novel against that backdrop.
0: Throughout 2018, Andrew, you were tracking a few bills in Congress related to libraries and publishers. With the House and Senate now seated for the new session, what's the expected fate of those bills and any thought on what legislation might come next? Yes. So
1: primarily, we were watching the fate of the Museum and Library Services Act uh, in late December. And that bill passed both houses just as we went on break. And it now awaits the president's signature. So in a nutshell, that bill reauthorized federal library funding through the Institute of Museum and Library Library Services, and it does so through the year 2025. Now, we should note that just because that Funding has been reauthorized doesn't mean that Congress is going to actually supply the funding. And on the other side of that coin, Congress can provide funds without the MLSA being reauthorized. So what's the big deal, you might ask? Well, it's a critical show of support for libraries. ALA officials explained uh, before the break that agencies that have reauthorization, it makes it much a much easier path for them to get funding than agencies that don't. As our listeners will recall, for the past two years, the Trump administration has proposed eliminating all federal library funding, as well as the NEA and the NEH. Uh, Well, this bill is a strong repudiation of that proposal, which, of course... We fully expect the Trump administration to try again next month, in February, when they release their their budget for the year, their proposed budget for the year. But despite that, we do expect that Trump is going to sign the MLSA. And of course, we still need a budget or a continuing resolution or something from Congress to actually provide the funding for libraries, which is, of course, a problem we now face with the government shutdown.
0: And another bill in the Senate would make the Register of Copyrights a presidential appointment. What has happened there?
1: That bill, yes, S 1010, we were following that closely. It's the Register of Copyright Selection and Accountability Act of 2017. And no, I didn't get the year wrong. That the, the act actually passed in April of 2017 in the House, but that bill has died on the Senate floor. And from my personal perspective, I hope not to rise again, but we'll get to that in a moment. Now there was some drama surrounding this bill in late December. Uh, the Hollywood and content industries really pushed hard. They almost got it to the Senate floor, but for a couple of holds by some senators who I think quite appropriately had some concerns about the bill. Now advocates of this bill, and we've talked about it on this program a couple of times, they tried to portray it as necessary to modernize the copyright office, but. You know, let's be frank here. This bill was always intended to do one thing, and that's to prevent Librarian of Congress Carla Hayden from appointing the next Register of Copyrights. And I think any other argument about what this bill did wasn't really true. It wasn't really accurate. After Carla Hayden removed Maria Polante's Register of Copyrights in October of 2015, I believe, the content industries really were upset and a little bit spooked at the prospect of you know, a librarian Pointing the next Register of Copyrights and advising Congress on copyright matters. And I'd point out, too, that with the end of this Congress comes the end of what I'd call the last real discussion about broad copyright reform. As our listeners may recall, in 2013, Congressman Bob Goodlett, who was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and John Conyers, the ranking member, undertook a lengthy review of copyright law with hearings and a roadshow around the country. And this was all spurred on and administered by then Register of Copyrights and now AAP President. Maria Pallante. Well, that review ended up yielding relatively little in terms of legislation and action, and now it's over. Goodlatt and Conyers are both gone. The copyright world has moved on. Now, it remains to see what happens next in the copyright arena, but with the passage this year of a major music licensing bill, the Music Modernization Act, I'm actually feeling a little bit hopeful. You know, If that bill, the MMA, actually serves as a template for future copyright discussions, we could be on the right path.
0: Okay. So when it comes to copyright reform, a perennial discussion item on this program, you've been pessimistic in the past, Andrew, what makes you hopeful now?
1: Well, the register of copyrights selection and accountability act, the one that sought to prevent uh, Carla Hayden from appointing the next register, that to me was an example of a bad copyright bill and a bad plan for copyright. It was polarizing and ill-conceived and, you know, Come on, do we really want Donald Trump appointing the next register of copyrights? I think Mick Mulvaney has enough jobs right now, or Jared Kushner does, right? But the music bill, now that's interesting. And what stands out to me about the bill is that it's not sweeping. It's pretty targeted. It was you know, not conceived in reverence to past business models, but was truly addressing the realities of a new marketplace. And all the parties got something they needed and gave up something they wanted. It was a real compromise. And forget copyright. In terms of legislation, period, that's kind of amazing these days. So there are clearly many, many more thorny issues to be addressed when it comes to copyright in the coming years. But if this bill, the Music Modernization Act, is a model, a bill that brought out a consensus among the many disparate stakeholders, well, we just might have a ball game here
0: well and if we do have a new ball game andrew we hope you will call the balls and strikes for us here on ccc's beyond the book throughout 2019 thanks for joining us today my pleasure as always coming next on beyond the book we are looking back at the last 12 months of our programs in the final edition of our three-part review for 2018 we pick out clues on the future direction of publishing This summer, MIT Press and the MIT Media Lab announced the launch of the Knowledge Futures Group. As Terry Elling, Director for Strategic Initiatives with MIT Press, told me in her Cambridge, Massachusetts office, the collaboration's mission is to transform research publishing by incubating and deploying open-source technologies, technologies that are meant to build a new information ecosystem.
2: We would like to serve as a test kitchen, an incubator, uh, and a staging platform for the development and launch of open source publishing technologies and aligned open access publications. Um, and we are jointly staffed uh, by the press and the media lab. The open source approach uh, not only reduces uh, the precarious dependency that most nonprofit academic publishers have on costly outsourced technologies and a limited network of commercial vendors, but it also provides uh, a foundation for greater in-sourced experimentation and innovation. And I think this is really a way for us to um, control our uh, our future in many ways, which has been increasingly dominated um, by for-profit um, multinationals. Um, we are uh, no longer technology-informed. We are technology-driven, and much of that technology resides outside of our control.
0: Digital Transformation, coming to a bookstore near you, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center. Our co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. Subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The complete Beyond the Book podcast archive is available at beyondthebook.com. I'm Christopher Keneally, thanks for listening and join us again soon on CCC's beyond the book.